calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am thrilled to invite you to Rachel Uncensored, my podcast where I get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. From personal stories to hot button issues, we cover it all. New episodes drop every Wednesday, so make sure you tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. Hi, I'm Keegan. And I'm Madigan. And you're listening to Your Your Angry Angry Neighborhood Neighborhood Feminist. Feminist. This is a podcast where we explore the world through our own personal feminist perspectives. And this is a mini episode, a special Friday edition. Mm-hmm. Um, we're sorry that we didn't put out the episode on Thursday as we typically do. It was just... Madigan was going to come over on Tuesday night, and the midterm results were coming in, and I was kind of like, I don't... I don't feel like we should talk about this while it's still happening because we won't be able to give you guys all of the information. Right. And then we weren't able to meet on Wednesday, so I was like, you know what? Let's just put it out a day late. My friend was like, I'm having withdrawals. (laughs) Oh, no. Sorry. (laughs) Sorry, It's coming. Don't worry. Yeah. Um, But we just wanted to make sure that we had all the information, and actually, I think it's a really good thing that we waited uh, so that we could kind of process what happened on Tuesday. So for those of you who are not American, it was our midterm elections, so we all showed up to the polls and voted. It was said to be one of the most important elections that have happened in recent history. And there were record numbers of people who turned out to vote. Oh, the lines in L.A. were crazy. I went before work because I had an idea that the lines were going to be long after work. And even going before work, I was kind of surprised by the number of people there. I've never had to wait. Oh, my, the one that I went to was like, I think it was like a, like a restaurant or something. I was like, what is this? It was like right next to my new apartment. And there was only a couple other people there and I had filled out my mailing ballot and just dropped it off. Right. Um, so I didn't have to wait at all and it was great. I enjoyed it. Awesome. Good way to do it. Yeah. It it made me feel very good that there were a lot of people there. There were quite a lot of young people there. Yeah. Um, I think people in L.A. become really complacent, thinking that they don't need to vote yeah. for one reason or another. But actually, it's really important that you vote, if for nothing else, even if you're in a blue state, if for nothing else, then just to have the numbers, right? Like, yep. you just want those numbers to be out there. And then you and then you can know that you've done something. Right. You don't have to have it be in anyone else's hands. I know it's been said to death, but, like, seriously, I don't want to hear you complaining about shit if you didn't turn up to vote. Yeah, I really for don't. real. So, um... All right, let's talk a little bit about Tuesday night. Uh-huh. I will say, as I told you, my dumbass accidentally <laughs> I love this. bought the same red wine 
that I was drinking during the 2016 election. It's a menage a trois silk. It is delicious, which is why I keep buying it. But you're like, why did I do this? But I was having so many sensory, like, yeah, uh, responses to... Yes. Because when I turned on the TV... I was TV, having, like, flashbacks. I was having hardcore flashbacks. And listen, I don't want to say it like this because I understand that... This is not what this is. I, don't get it confused. I understand that this is not what this is, but I've heard it referred to to it this way uh, in several places, and it's kind of the first thing that popped into my mind when my friend told me that she was, like, freaking out about yeah. the election. I was like, I think we all have election PTSD. Yeah. Like, I, I think we have... Oh, I was saying, I was talking about that with my boss, too. We both just, like, w- kept having to take little breaks like we have just trauma. watching it was like oh god i can't yeah i can't think go we're through this again I, I think we're suffering trauma when every time i saw another republican being voted in it, i was just it like, was terrifying okay. it was okay. terrifying so okay. when i first started watching um the the map was pretty red yeah which again reminded me of 2016 yeah the map being very red and thinking oh it's gonna change it's gonna change and right just right didn't. drinking my red wine watching the map turn red the projections this is in my notes The projections had me fucked up, okay? So when I first started watching, the projections had it to where the Republicans were in the lead to take the House. Yeah, And at one point, Nate Silver, who's the one who famously in 2016 was like, listen, Hillary's going to win by like 85%, right? Nate Silver at one point had to get on there and be like, yo, our model's like super sensitive, so don't lose your fucking shit yet. Like, yeah. he was, like, our model that's set to track who's going to win yeah. at the end of this is just being really, really sensitive. So at one... But, like, he's like, don't... He didn't say that, but he was like, don't lose your shit. And I was like, it's a little late. I'm yeah. already losing my shit. We don't trust you anymore, dude. I don't. And at one... Because at one point, it was predicting that the Democrats had, like, a 34% chance of winning... Of taking the House. Yeah. And I was like, oh, my God. What if? I know. I what know. What if we don't take anything? I know. I was, like, so fucking panicked I know. about it. And in the end, we can restore our faith in Nick Silver a little bit because... We took the House. We took the House, and he had predicted that we would take the House, but not the Senate. Yeah. So that is what happened. And while I know people were somewhat disappointed because they thought, like, it's this blue wave and we're going to fucking decimate everything and we're going to crush everything and that's not exactly what happened. Yeah. I, I think it's really important to remember how amazing it is that we it took is. the House. It's, it's amazing. So now that the Democrats have the House, Republicans will no longer be able to pass legislation without GOP votes with GOP votes alone. If any bills get through Congress, Trump will have to spar the Democrats. And Democrats will also have subpoena power, which will help them investigate the Trump administration. Yes. Okay, so a few months ago, the Republicans shared a list of things that Democrats would be seeking if they won control of the House, because Dems have been asking for forever, and they were never given, uh, they weren't given anything because Republicans had control of the House. So they literally called this a hell list. Do you want to hear some of the things that were on this list that Republicans please, wrote? Please. <clears throat> this okay. bring me so much joy. They said that, re- that Democrats would be seeking President Trump's tax returns. Yep. Trump's dealings with Russia, mm-hmm. Trump's family businesses, mm-hmm. James Comey's firing, yep. Trump's payment to Stormy Daniels, uh. Trump's proposal for a transgender ban on the military, Love. the travel ban, mm-hmm. family separation policy, yep. and hurricane response in Puerto Rico. Love. 
So at the end of it, once it was established that Democrats were going to take the House, Uh um, the Dems kind of already came out and said, like, get those fucking tax returns ready. Those are going to be the first things that we go after. So it's very exciting, you guys, that we might actually... And Trump is actually freaking out. I love it. He's actually freaking out about it. There was that whole thing about him kind of, like, screaming at Jim Acosta, that that journalist, Uh during a... White House press conference because he's like melting down in real time. Yeah. So that, that's IRL, kind of exciting. Melting yeah. down. I love it. So before we get into the good stuff, do you want yes. to talk about kind of some of the defeats that people were a little upset about? Please do. Okay. So our lovely Bay. 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 Beto. Beto O'Rourke. Beto. So Beto O'Rourke, who of course we all wanted to win the Senate seat against that yeah. fucking blobfish of a human being. I know. Ted Cruz. Who is actually a disgusting person. I like, actually let it slip around a six-year-old that he's a Zodiac killer and his mom, like, shot me what? Like, it's a made-up character. It's fine. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Um, but, yeah, that guy is just, just like, walking. I don't even know. He's, like, the walking personification of, like, Jello. He's yeah, so gross. There's nothing about him. But less delicious than Jello, just like plain, <laughs> plain gelatin. Like if you were to put like no flavor, yeah, plain into Jell-O. gelatin. Just gelatin. He's just, just clear, He's clear just like, blah, blah, gelatin blah, 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 blah. with n- no real personality to speak of. Yep. Um, but it's fucking Texas. Yeah. And so while of course we all wanted Beto O'Rourke to win, he was an advocate of, is an advocate of, um, people of color. He, you know, raised, he ran a very clean campaign. He raised his campaign finances without corporate help, Mm -hmm. uh, which is incredible. Mm -hmm. And people were really jazzed about it. He did lose, but only by, like, barely anything. So Beto O'Rourke got 48.3 points and... Ted Cruz, 50.9. Yeah. So it was it was a very close for Texas, which is yeah. like the reddest of any red state. So I really still see this, even though he didn't win and it's sorely disappointing. I really do see this still as a win because it's such an it's advancement. It's showing the Texas people. Right. They know, turned out for this. Yeah. And they, it really mattered. And so I hope if you're listening and you're from Texas and you're feeling really despondent right now, your vote mattered. Please yes. show up to vote next time. Yeah. Continue it to vote. It was so close. Like, don't, we just had a few yeah. more. You know what I mean? Yeah. Don't feel like because amazing. because you guys didn't win that you don't need to vote next time. Yeah. Please, please, please yeah. continue to show up to Thank vote. Thank you. People are talking about Beto running in 2020. I know. He has said he's not going to, yeah. um, but we'll see. We we'll see about that. See. The other one that was kind of a shitstorm, which is not over yet. Was Stacey Abrams, who is running for governor yep. in uh, running for governor in Georgia against Brian Kemp, and she did. Tech, I mean, as of right now, she's lost to Brian Kemp forty eight point seven to fifty point three, which is mm-hmm. incredibly close. Again, in another red state. However, she is not conceding this race, nor should she concede this race, because this guy Brian Kemp, he is the uh, Secretary of State in Georgia. So okay. it is his job to oversee mm-hmm. the elections. Yeah. So he was overseeing the elections that he was actively participating in. Yeah. And there has been blatant voter suppression, gerrymandering. He has pulled out all of the stops to try yeah. and... Um, Make it go his way. Manipulate the votes. Yeah. And... Uh, 
so she is she is not conceding yet until they've had a close examination Good. because the person who it he was putting laws in place to try and suppress votes because he was the secretary of state and he could do that exactly so it was super fucking underhanded and he like at no point should he be allowed to be in control of elections when he's participating in an oh, election. Oh, agreed. It's not Completely like agree. not fair at all. So hopefully, Stacey can pull it out. I don't yeah. know if she can, but fingers fucking crossed because this guy cheated. Yeah, one hundred and twenty percent. There's yeah. been proof of that. So. Should I tell you about some of the history-making that went Please. on? Please. In Michigan, Rashida, I'm going to say her last name wrong. I apologize. Tilab? Tilab? T-L-A-I-B. Right. I'm not sure either. I have it in my notes as well. Uh, She became the first ever Muslim woman to be elected to the U.S. Congress. In Florida, voters passed Amendment 4, which restored the voting rights for people who were convicted of felonies. So it says 179% of black Floridians. Did I add a one there? Probably. <laughs> what? I don't think it's over 100%. But So then it would be 79% of black Floridians couldn't vote due to previous felony convictions, and 40% of those black men will have their voting rights restored. Yeah, nothing but voter suppression laws. Seriously, yeah. that's what that is. In Virginia, Republican Barbara Comstock, beloved by the NRA, lost her congressional seat. In Key West, Terry Johnston became the first openly lesbian woman ever elected mayor in Florida, and she won by 66% of the vote. Amazing. In Colorado, Jared Polis became the first oh. openly gay governor. And also the first Jewish governor. Love it. And if you haven't seen the video of him introducing his partner as the first man of <gasps> Colorado... I haven't seen it! Oh my... I am such a, like... I want to cry right now. Like, every time I think about watching these videos of these people talking about being the first this or that. Yeah. Um, because also, in addition to Rashida uh, Tlaib, I think it's mm-hmm. Tlaib, I'm, I'm not sure, of Michigan, who is the first Muslim woman to be elected in Congress in this same election cycle. Um, again, I'm going to say this wrong. Ilan um, Omar of Minnesota yep. is also a another Muslim Muslim woman mm-hmm. who uh, has been voted into Congress. Yep. And watching her up there saying, I'm the first woman in hijab yeah. to be well, and I believe elected to Congress. She lost <gasps> to Jason Lewis, right? She lost? I mean, sorry, she won to Jason Lewis. Jason oh, I'm not Lewis sure. lost. So my last one that I have is that Congressman Jason Lewis, who lamented not being able to call women sluts, lost to a woman. Oh no, you this is Angie piece of Craig. Shit. And he lost to Angie Craig Ugh. in Minnesota. Yeah, you know, great. Um, Texas elected two Latina Congresswomen for the first time: Sylvia Garcia and Veronica Escobar. Let that sink in. That Texas, I know, a deep, I know. A, a state we stole from Mexicans. I know, just elected its first Mexicans. Like, I mean, it was maybe first Mexican women. La- yeah, sorry, first Latina women, but still, I know. In Kansas, Sharice Davids became the first Native American woman elected to Congress. Dude, hold on, and Pause. she's also gay. She's also gay. She's an ex-MMA fighter. Yep. She's from Kansas. That blew my mind. I know. As someone from Missouri, the fact that she could have flipped a Senate seat in Kansas, being a Native American woman, uh-huh. and uh-huh. being gay, and she kissed her, I don't know if she's her wife or her partner, she kissed her, like, during her yes! speech. Yes! I love it. Amazing. I love it. And, again, when we were just talking about how we essentially stole Texas from Mexicans, mm-hmm. um... And how they're the first Latino women or Mexican women to be a- appointed to Congress. Yeah. 
These are our first, because there's, yeah. there's another one of them, our first Native American women I to know. join Congress. It's fucking ridiculous. Well, and I was going to go on to Deb, I think it's Holland, Hayland? Um, yes. Yeah, she's part of the Pueblo Laguna, and she won a seat in the first district of New Mexico, yes, which is my, where Keegan was born. My birth state. Yeah. Amazing. In Massachusetts, Ayanna Presley became the first black woman elected in Massachusetts Congress. Um... Oh, so also in Massachusetts, an anti-discrimination bill was saved by voters, which will explicitly protect transgender people from discrimination in public spaces, which is amazing. I know. My heart is so full. I know. In New York, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez became the youngest woman ever elected in Congress at 29 years old. And I feel useless. I know! Because she's a year older than me. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) I feel. I mean, it's crazy. My life means nothing. Okay. (laughs) A conservative district in Illinois elected Lauren Underwood, the youngest black woman running for Congress, and she served as an advisor to the Department of Health and Human Services under the Obama administration. Again in Kansas, Democrat Laura Kelly beat Trump. Trump endorsed Chris Kobach. Kim Davis, the Kentucky clerk who oh, refused to sign bitch. the marriage certificates for same-sex couples in Kentucky, lost her bid for the election. Elwood Cottle Jr. won by fifty-four percent of the votes. Georgia's Lucy McBeth, a gun control activist whose son was shot and killed in two thousand twelve by racist by a racist motorist, uh, said that her. Oh, who said that his music was too loud, won a House seat in Georgia's 6th Congressional District. It was her first time running for Congress, and she said earlier this year that she was inspired to run after witnessing the activism of the students in Parkland, Florida, who survived the tragic shooting at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School. Amazing. I'm going to cry. I know. Democrat Tony Evans beat out Wisconsin Governor Scott Walker. Walker attacked public education, which resulted in teacher shortage in Wisconsin. And then, like I said earlier, GOP Congressman Jason Lewis, who lamented not being able to call women sluts, lost to a woman, Angie Craig, in Minnesota, my home state. Hell yeah. And I I had a a lot of friends um, here in L.A. who were canvassing and working for Katie Hill, who was running for Congress. And she won. And she is the first bisexual member of Congress. So fantastic. You know what? Yes, we don't have control of the Senate, and that yeah. sucks. But I want people to understand that we now have some checks and balances where there weren't any. Yep. And that is huge. Yeah. And it's a really and big deal. And just the deal. history and everything that happened this yeah. week is so phenomenal. And so we really need to kind of just, like, sit and bathe in that light right now. We I think really we deserve do. to do that because it's been so hard and difficult. And we have to be able to see the good. And to celebrate the, the victories, whether yeah. or not you think that they're small... You know, we, for the first time, have elected over a hundred women. Yeah. All at once. And that's fantastic. You know, truly, the more women and the more women of color, Mm -hmm. especially, who step up in leadership roles in this country. Yeah, the more intersectional our our country is going to become. Of course, and the better off. And the better off. Like, we cannot have a government for the people if it is not a government by the people 100% so I am overflowing with joy yeah I'm you know of course I I hope Stacey Abrams pulls through I hope that Beto O'Rourke runs again of course like there are disappointments but 
at the end of the day, you might not think it's a blue wave, but it's still a victory. It is a huge victory. Yeah, and There's that's a fantastic. a lot of things to be excited about, so. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. Okay, so do we want to kind of move into something sort of similarly related? Yeah, yeah. All right, so today, no, today or yesterday? Today. Yes, today. Uh. Yesterday. Yesterday. Okay. okay. Um, the day after the midterms, uh, which was on Wednesday, Jeff Sessions was fired. fired? <laughs> it, it's kind of confusing because it's like he was, he gave his letter of resignation. Yeah. But he gave it because he was asked to step down. Right. By the president. So that's kind of like, he wasn't fired, but he was kind of like, like, pushed. Yeah. Encouraged to step down. And um, Jeff Sessions is the attorney general. Jeff Beauregard Sessions, which, like, could you have a more fucking, like, southern shitty name? Because he's super fucking racist. And he is super fucking racist, and he's a shit person. Yeah. However, this situation is kind of fucked, because Trump has been saying for a while that he was going to fire Jeff Sessions or Jeff Sessions is shitty and he's bad at his job and all these yeah. other things because Jeff Sessions has been like, um, I'm not going to stop the Mueller investigation. Yeah. And Trump didn't like that. Yeah. So Trump called for his resignation. I think it was very calculated for him to do it the day after the midterms. So yeah. that, that kind of got that out of the news cycle. I uh-huh. think that was his plan. So he usually whenever... The attorney general has to step down for whatever reason, gets fired or anything like that, which is very unusual. I don't know if an attorney general has ever really been fired, probably, but a long time. Yeah. But for whatever reason, an attorney general ever has to leave. Usually the deputy attorney general, which in this case would be Rod Rosenstein, uh, would step in and take their place. Uh That is not the case here. Okay. Trump is trying to replace Sessions with a loyalist um, who had at one point openly questioned the validity of the Mueller investigation and had basically wrote an op-ed at one point saying that he thought the Mueller investigation was bullshit. Yeah. Um, And his name is Matt Whitaker, and he is Jeff Sessions' former chief of staff. So it's not surprising that Trump would do something like this, but it's also so blatantly transparent that it's... It feels like he's just fucking grasping yeah, for like he is. anything because he knows now that Democrats have control of the House. Yeah, he's in trouble. There's a lot more oversight. Mm-hmm. Um, so there is that. And the other thing that we should talk about, touch on very briefly, is guys, we need all of your collective <laughs> power to pray, send good vibes, do a spell, do whatever it is you fucking do. But we need to keep Ruth Bader, Ruth Ginsburg, Bader Ginsburg alive. Stay alive, girl. She was hospitalized this morning. And, guys, we cannot afford to lose her. No. We cannot afford we can. to lose her. I don't care whatever kind of black magic you have to whip out yeah. to save Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Pull out all the black magic. Now is the fucking time. So, yep. um, just, guys, thoughts, energy, vibes, all prayers, whatever you do, all yeah. the good stuff. Send fairies, like please, whatever you can. Please, please, please. Yeah. Okay. All right. I want to touch briefly on the lives that were lost this morning in the shooting in Thousand Oaks, California. The killer was a former, was it a Marine? Yes. And um, he there's, suffered PTSD. Yeah. There's, there is a lot 
a lot, a lot, a lot that we could discuss with that. I tend to like to focus more on the people whose lives were lost. I agree. I do think it's important, though, um, to address that this was a man who came back for more, uh-huh. quite obviously had PTSD, yeah. to the point where police were called to his house in April. Yeah. And they, for a disturbance, one disturbance or another, and they noticed that he was not mentally well. And in yeah. fact said that they thought he had PTSD, considered putting him on a psychiatric hold. Yeah. Didn't do I, that. I think I read somewhere that, that he had been like... Yeah, that they had looked into it, and then they went. They opted against. They opted hold. against putting him on a psychiatric hold. Yeah, I think it's an important thing to touch on because, as we have said many fucking times, people who have health problems like this, and I'm not saying it's his fault because, of course, it isn't. Yeah, but people who have problems like this should not be able to easily access guns. And at this no. moment, we don't know how he got his hands on this gun. Yeah. Maybe it wasn't his. Maybe he got it from someone else. But in general, it's just something that we need to know as a piece of the puzzle as part of the story. Exactly. So I was just realizing that on this list that I have, it's it's not telling me all 12. So let me read what I have and then see why I don't possibly have all 12 Um, names here. It it just happened this morning. I'm not sure if all 12 12 names have been released yet. I have seven names here. So I I deeply apologize if I've missed something. I I have the same list. I don't think all the names have been released yet at the time we're recording this. Okay, so... Cody Kaufman was 22. He was an athlete, umpire, and big brother who planned on joining the Army. Ron Helis, within minutes of the 911 call, Sergeant Ron Helis of the Ventura County Sheriff's Office was there to confront the shooter. When gunfire erupted, Helis was hit multiple times. Elena Housley was 18. She was a Pepperdine student, and her uncle, TV reporter Adam Housley, was also killed. Which, can you imagine? Two in one family. My gosh. I mean, one is bad enough. Dan Manrique, who was 33, he was a former Marine, volunteer, and program manager. Justin Meek was 33. He was a recent grad of California Lutheran University and heroically saved lives, but was killed during the shooting. And then Noelle Sparks, who was 21, worked with children at Calvary Community Church in Westlake Village. And I want to say that this all took place at a bar, um, I believe it's the borderline. the borderline bar. Yeah. Anthony and I were just in Thousand Oaks. Like, we were yeah. literally, we were literally, like, a mile away from where this happened. And the Borderline Bar, I'd been asked there to, I'd been asked to go there many times with a friend of mine. Mm-hmm. Young people hang out there all the time. Mm-hmm. They have a very active college night, um, which is, I think, why so many of the victims were young people, 18 mm-hmm. to 22. Um, a lot of people go there, even from LA because yeah. I know people were like well it wasn't in LA but it's like a lot of it's really not far you guys it, it's, it's about close. 45 minutes and you I know mean, like I said Oaks a bunch. like I said I was there last weekend yeah and LA residents do go quite a lot because yeah. it's one of the only bars that does line dancing <laughs> so if you are into that if you like country music and things like that you might be interested yeah. in going there and it's a bar where you can go if you're under 21 as yeah. well so um, it was really heartbreaking. This morning, I woke up to a bunch of tests. That was literally the first thing. Was like, oh, did you hear about yesterday? Like, no good morning, well, no nothing. I, it's I, like this morning. There was, yeah. I was like, great. I woke up to texts from my family, like yeah. asking if I was okay. Yeah, because people who don't live here don't understand yeah. how far away that is or right. whatever. And it was also just really, really heartbreaking. Um, 
I watched some of the news coverage and like the parents finding yeah. out that they're one one man he had been monitoring his son's phone oh, tra- no. tracking it. He was tracking it. Yeah. And he said to the camera, he's like, his phone isn't moving. And that's what's concerning us right now. I'm hoping he just got out and he's missing and he he dropped his phone or something. And that wasn't the case. God. It was horrific. This guy showed up. He shot the security guard. Yep. He shot the hostess. And then he threw in, and this is what scared me the most when I was in bed reading about this this morning. He threw in smoke bombs. Yeah. So... These poor people in this bar were so disoriented. Yeah. And they couldn't see anything. Yeah. And that's so and fucking just scary. And went in and wreaked terror. It's so scary. And it's so hard to be like... It was so close to home. And I was just I saying... I was just saying, like, we are due for something in L.A. Nothing massive has happened in L.A. In a while, and um, it is honestly horrifying. And you could go any. There is no protection. There's, there's no protecting yourself. That's safe. Short of never leaving your home, there's there is nowhere that's safe. I go out all the time. I try yeah. new bars. I go to restaurants. I go to movie theaters. Of course, of course, because I'm living my life. And yeah. like these people did not go to that bar at all, having any inclination that something yep. like that could happen to them. I know, and that's so scary and sad. So, yeah, I mean, we if if you've listened to our show for a while, you know, our thoughts, we dedicated a whole mini episode to gun violence after Parkland. And um, if you haven't listened, go back and take a listen to really hear all of our thoughts involving gun control and our pain that we've been feeling within. I mean, even the especially the last year we've been doing this podcast and talking about it and sharing it with each other. Um so you can have a, a really good understanding about the way that we feel when these things come up again. It's just very, yeah, very I, hard for us well, to talk about. I mean, I think it's we, you know, the entire country is just like. I I don't even know what my parents would feel or my friends would feel or what it would be like at this point if. I feel like it's almost bound to happen that someone I know is going to die by gun violence. That is exactly what I was thinking. Yeah. And it's horrifying because literally nowhere is safe. Yeah. And it's like you have to just take every life that you come across that you care about and cherish it so entirely because you really don't know at this point there were people, what's going to happen. There were people at this bar who were, all, because it's kind of the same demographic, who were at... The country music festival in Las Vegas. Yeah, and they talk about that. And, and you know, the one person that I saw that they talked to, who had both of those experiences, oh he God. he lived through Twice. he lived through both of them. But oh can you God. fucking imagine? No, the you wouldn't feel and, and the and you wouldn't feel safe no. ever again going no. anywhere. Twice for it no. to happen to you twice. No, twelve people, dude. There's like no that's way. it's it's a lot. That's a you lot know for going into a bar. Twelve people is. You know, and to before that have survived something where it was the greatest death toll yeah. of any mass shooting. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's just really hard and sad and um, difficult. I don't yeah. know. I don't know what I else know. there is to say about that. Yeah. Well, Ugh. we're sorry to um, kind of have our last story be on a down note. I know you have something you want to talk about. Yeah, I have like a semi And then I have a a story we got emailed. So... Okay, perfect. We can do both of those things. All right. I will cut this quick. I was very, very fortunate last night that I was invited to go see the new movie, Pimp. 
Um, it stars Kiki Palmer. It stars my friend Haley, who was in the show. Light What's her last Feather. name? Ram. Sorry, Haley Ram. Haley Ram. Okay. Um, and then also it starred what is his name? Eddie Gathegi, who was an X Men, and Vanessa Morgan, who is from Riverdale. It got a really good review in the Hollywood Reporter. So I'm going to read kind of their little like opening paragraph there. Um, it says fans of the black exploitation era will get a nostalgic kick out of Christine Croco's feature directorial directorial debut starring Kiki Palmer, a long way removed from her childhood role in Aquila and the Bee in the title role Pimp. I love her. I do too. <laughs> She's amazing. As an engrossing melodrama that could easily have played to an enthusiastic grindhouse audiences of the 1970s. Exef- executive produced by Lee Daniels, the film manages simultaneously to feel feminist and utterly retrograde while proving fast-paced and entertaining. Um, the director and screenwriter is a member of the LGBTQ plus community, tells a really hauntingly beautiful story of a mixed race lesbian couple who began as best friends in the Bronx. So Kiki Palmer's character was raised um, by a pimp. Her mother was one of the sex workers. Her father dies at a very young age, and so she kind of has to take over the family business. Her mother is a drug addict. It's very, like everything awful that you can think of in the world but she has this one girl who's always been in her life and when things get rough her girlfriend who's played by my friend Haley, is like i'm gonna i'm gonna start selling myself for us to be able to have enough money to live and then she kind of gets a little money hungry and she brings in this other girl and she took this girl away from this guy played by eddie gathegi and he is horrifying he is so misogynistic and evil and like gross in this movie and he's so nice in real life which made me so happy because i was like oh fuck this i don't want to meet you i know i was like fuck this guy and he was so nice and it was it was so good and the the ending i will not spoil but it was so beautiful i was really glad that i got to be a part of it um i was a little disappointed that the director is kind of shitty really she's a little problematic okay um, so that was the one thing that I found out afterwards that I was a little bit frustrated by, but the fact that Lee Daniels came on, you would know him from Empire, Star, and Precious, and The Butler, um, he added such, like, a gorgeous, like, authenticity to the right. movie, I feel. Right, it, it kind of makes me feel better about it, because yeah. I know the director is, um, a white woman, and these are black stories being told yes. for the most part, and that always makes me a little bit uncomfortable. Well, and that's something that my friend asked me about, too, which I felt really impressed by that mm-hmm. is something that she definitely had in the forefront of her mind like what do you think about this and I think that's an important conversation to be had right I mean it re- it reassures me a lot that yeah. Lee Daniels would step in because I feel like um he would take at least a little bit of control over that and there, he would I think never he took a lot of control over he it. would never I don't believe sign on to something that he yeah. deemed to be super demeaning so yeah when I was telling you earlier too I feel like the story was more so written Haley was the only like white character there was like mm-hmm. another like kind of secondary character but it was it was a very predominantly black cast mm-hmm. and I feel like if anything the director slash writer was probably speaking more from her Person, reality from that, from that from the reality of from the reality of Haley's character Nikki's world um but it's it's so good like I have to talk about it because it's a little tiny indie film it's done by women and people of color it is like LGBTQ plus positive there's a lot of kind of jarring there's one scene that I had to look away um there's a lot of language that is very harsh 
um, we are dealing with someone who's working as a pimp. So there's gun violence and a lot of sex and things like that. So if that's something you're sensitive to, but I really enjoyed it. So I wanted to share it with you guys and you guys can decide, you know, whether or not you want to see it or not, but I really loved it and it was a really great experience for awesome. me. Awesome. So you guys should check it out. Awesome. Well, I can't wait to check it out whenever it comes out. Yes. It's going to be at Universal Studios tomorrow, I think. Oh, so great. Today. When Is it going to be? Come out. Uh, theater, like um, I think it's gonna be at City Walk. Okay, I'll okay. look it up. I'll post something tomorrow. Okay, so we have a um, email that was sent in by a listener. It says, <laughs> "Hi, I love you guys and your podcast, and I generally agree with like ninety eight percent of the things you say." <laughs> <laughs> All right, I that's love cool. Ninety-eight percent is pretty good. That's Listen, really good. I'm willing that's to take still that. Like an A, yeah, I'm fine. It's still a solid A. Okay. Yeah. That said. I know. Uh oh. Yeah. I wanted to let you know. A. Maori are generally understood as Polynesian, which I thought, but I didn't want to say that during our yeah. cultural appropriation episode because I wasn't a hundred percent, and I didn't right. want to um, step outside my bounds. Um, B. It's best when speaking about indigenous peoples to not refer to them as of X country or X country's indigenous group. Okay. Notice you guys said Maori of New Zealand instead of in New Zealand. Oh, okay. Which totally... I never would have known. I never would have known, but now that she mentions it, makes so much sense. It makes complete sense. Because saying Maori of New Zealand, it's like they're not of there. They were there first. Exactly. So for you to kind of like be like they're of this place is is disrespectful. So I understand that. I completely agree. Generally, when speaking about countries created through colonialism without respecting the original culture's boundaries of the indigenous peoples on those lands, it's best to work hard not to sound uh, paternalistic. Yeah. Wow. I know you guys are not at all disrespectful. It's just phrasing particularities. Definitely. And finally, C, really, really try to avoid saying Eskimo because it's as derogatory as the word you bleeped out. Yeah, that was something that I that I kind of like grappled with as well. And again, I'm completely still learning a lot of those things. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Like, it's not... Like, growing up, it was not seen as a big deal, so... To us. To our... To us. Where, yeah, yeah, where yeah. we come from. Yes, of exactly. course. Exactly. So, thank you for bringing that to our attention, because it's it's not anything that I ever would have thought about. Yeah. You know? I mean, it's one of those things. It's what we talked about in that episode, where when you know better, you do better. Exactly. And it's really helpful to have people like this calling us in on these things to, you know, very gently and nicely tell us where we maybe have misstepped. And that's, that's really helpful. And I talked to her a little bit on Twitter today and she was like, I really hope I didn't come across sounding mean. No, I think that it's just very informative. No. It's something that's going to be helping us moving forward. Knowing how to better censor ourselves in our episodes and not make anybody feel upset because the whole point of this is to make people feel welcomed and accepted. So right. I wouldn't want to And we want to understand anyone. everyone else's perspective. Exactly. And so it's really helpful to know where people yeah. come from on that. So um, she continues, your episode on cultural appropriation regardless was amazing and important to me to hear those stories. As an Algonquin person who passes as white about 80% of the time, I've had so many wild mix-ups with cultural appropriation and racism. I've had people talk to me or near me about how indigenous people in Canada in Canada are whiny and are using mm. our history. Yeah. LOL, it's not history when it's still happening. Yeah. 
to make gains. I've had people get angry at me for wearing my jewelry that I've bought at powwows and for braids because they don't know that it's my culture. Mm-hmm. I've had people ask to see my status card as proof of my indigenity. Mm-hmm. I'm going to guess that's how that's said. Yeah. So when I speak about cultural appropriation, I speak about it from the perspectives of both the accused and the accuser, for lack of better terms. The most obvious example is when a girl showed up to my house in a sexy Indian costume for my Halloween party and then asked me to set her up with my friend. This was 2015. This was after the Victoria's Secret fashion show and Coachella conversations. She had no excuse. Nope. Anyway, I have many stories about my experience as an indigenous woman in Canada. It's wild and awful. If you're interested in those stories, I'd be happy to share, but this is long now. I've got the rage, and I'm glad to hear it from others. Yay! Thank you so much for submitting that. Yes, we're 100% interested in hearing your other stories. 100%. I think think people do need, need to hear these stories from from the source the people who are affected by it exactly because when you say you are negatively affected by a quote-unquote sexy indian costume um that someone wore into your home i think people will hear and receive that in a way that's different than if madigan or i ever said something like that so please do send us your stories if you um, are listening to this and you have similar stories please also send us your stories yeah and thank you so much again for bringing up ways that we can improve our language when we're on the show it's something that we really really try to do our best but again we're still learning we're not perfect Um, so for all of the emails that we've ever gotten with people who kind of correct us like you're all so nice and wonderful we have had we have never I mean, other than trolls on Instagram, yeah. to our email, we have never had anyone be rude Because they actually listen mean. to the show. Right. There's be- people on Instagram who, like, don't right. get what we are. Because they understand that, like, we want to do better. Yes. We are constantly working to do better. We want to do the best that we can. I so agree. if there's anything that we say or do that is insensitive, please let us in on that and we will work to correct it. I guarantee you it sticks in my brain. Oh, same. Um, and I try to make a mental note of those things. So thank Agreed. you so much. Thank you. I really, really appreciate it. Um, so you guys, if you have any other, if you have coming out stories, if you have sister solidarity stories, if you have anything that you want to share with us, you can shoot us an email at neighborhoodfeminist at gmail.com. Uh, show up on Instagram. That's where everything goes down at Angry Neighborhood Feminist. You can go on Twitter. Our uh, username there is Yamp Podcast. Y A N F Podcast. You can find us on Facebook. We have a group and a business page. You can find us pretty much anywhere you can listen to podcasts. So if you're not happy with where you're listening right now, you can find somewhere else. Listen on Radio Public. I mean, if you listen on Radio Public. We get, like, two cents per I was going to say, we'll so. get, like, a couple pennies. It's yeah, cool. It's, great. it's fine. It's free for you. It helps us. It's and don't forget good. to continue to send us um, reviews, continue guys, to rate. Thank you. Please subscribe or just tell a friend. Yeah. All of those things are super, super helpful for us. Word of mouth is very valuable with yes. us. Really, really appreciate it. Um, I think other than that, I think we've kind of covered everything. Oh, hey, guys. By the way, because this is the first episode that's coming Holy out shit, after. Holy shit, you guys. Keegan's engaged. I got engaged. So what I feel like fuck? we should address that. 
just because we'll be talking about it I was going to bring later. it up immediately. <laughs> I was going to bring it up the first thing, guys. Keegan is getting married. Yeah, so that Anthony guy that I talk about all the time, we're going to get married. I'm sure there are episodes on whether or not marriage is feminist and or the marriage industrial complex in our future. Yes, but- girl. <laughs> We're going to do it. But for now, um, I just thought I would let you listeners yeah. in on that. I was just like, I was texting Keegan. I'm like, oh my God, you got engaged this weekend. Guess what I did? I got a butt tattoo. Hell fucking yes. <laughs> this is where we are in our lives. Um, I'm not opposed to getting a butt tattoo. No, I know. But I'm like so excited about my ass tattoo. And you're like, I'm getting engaged. And I'm just like, oh my God, that's so much better. <laughs> I mean, who's to say one is better than the other? Yours is just They're so both much better. Great. I'm, you guys, I'm so fucking happy. Anthony is the best person in the world. Keegan is the best person in the world. They're getting married. They're going to be the best people in the world. Everything is ready. We're going to have a fun-ass wedding. Ugh. We'll definitely take, you know, pictures and videos, Madigan yes, and I will, together yes, at the yes, wedding. Yes. So I'm um, so excited. <laughs> so, yes, we cannot forget that piece of exciting news. And with that being said, we encourage you to rage on. Bye. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.